You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. So, my name is Brian Catherman. I am a pastor and a church planter in Salt Lake City. However, I also normally have about a 40-45 minute natural preaching clock, and I only have 30 minutes here. So what I'd like to do is invite you to come chat with us afterwards, or come tonight, or come to the uh, conference, and we will talk with you like crazy about the Word of God. If you would make your way to Luke chapter 9, I'm going to start in verse 40, or excuse me, 57, and read through 62. That's on page 920 if you're using one of those Black Pew Bibles there. Uh, I'm going to be reading from a slightly different translation. I love the translation you're using. Um, I just didn't realize that's what you used, so I brought this one with me. So I'm going to go ahead and read from God's Word. Before I do, I'd like to pray. If you would just pray with me real quick. Let's ask God to really illuminate His Word to us this morning. Lord, as we open Your Word, please speak to us in terms that we can understand. We want to see something that would draw us to seek you as we sung this morning. Show us. Open our eyes and our ears, our hearts and our minds to really uh, be moved by something from your word this morning. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'd like to just read this to get us started this morning. Luke 9, 57. It says, As they were going along the road... Someone said to him, and the him here is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, and bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are powerful, powerful words. This could be an entire series. This is Jesus calling some to follow and they're not. This is some saying, Hey, I'll do it, but they're not called. This is a complicated, remarkable text, but there's two things in here that that I really want to drill down into. They're very significant. The first... They're these words that I think sometimes we just bat them around. We don't see the magnitude, and they are the kingdom of God. Jesus was absolutely, constantly focused and serious about the kingdom of God. And we say, oh, He talked about money all the time. Well, He talked about money some, yeah. Oh, He talks about hell a lot. Yeah, He did that too. But I think if you read the Bible, you look in the epistles, the sections about the kingdom of God in the Gospels, I don't think you would have nearly what you have there. Jesus talked about it all the time. I think it was his favorite topic to discuss. He'd say, hey, it's like a mustard seed. Hey, it's like a treasure in a field. Hey, the kingdom of God is coming. Hey, the kingdom of God is here. 
It's a very, very important topic to Jesus. And so as he's saying it here, I would like for us to just drill down into two things. One very clear at the beginning there, in, or at, the, at verse 60, uh, he says, But as for you, go and proclaim, make known, speak, preach, declare the kingdom of God. Go and tell everyone about this kingdom that I love and that is so important to me. Go and proclaim. And then to this other who wasn't going to go, instead he was looking back to where he had come from. Jesus says, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. He's, he's saying, you're plowing the field and in one hand you likely have the, the wooden steering handle to a mechanical plow and it's probably attached to a, a bull or... If you don't have a lot of money, maybe a mule. Or if you have a lot of kids, maybe all your kids, something. And he's plowing, and then you have this cord over here that's helping steer. And you can just get the picture of this guy. And you drove a car back before they put all the controls on the steering wheel. Actually, I still drive cars that don't have any controls on them. Uh, but if you drive a car that ha you know, didn't have that, and you were driving down the road, and you thought, I'm going to turn this, the volume up or change the station, it kind of went something like this. You look over the radio, and you... And then when you look up and you realize you've just turned a hard left, you jerk the steering wheel back. I think it's a little bit like that. If you're not focused on what you're doing and what is important, you end up all over the place. Jesus here is saying no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now that should really grab our attention. That says someone can be fit for the kingdom of God, which would imply that someone might not be fit for the kingdom of God. You can be fit or suitable for or usable for, if some translations will say, the kingdom, but you can be unsuitable, unfit, unusable in the kingdom. That's kind of alarming. When you think about that for a minute, but what happens sometimes, that means they have to be fit for salvation or entry into the kingdom. Like, I gotta work at it. I gotta work my way into salvation. But I go other places. I don't know if it's this way in Kentucky, but I've gone some places around the United States where the opposite is true. I've punched my ticket. I'm good, and I don't need to do anything in the kingdom. All these instructions, I, nope, don't have to even touch it. That looks like works to me. Well, the problem is, when we get these things in the wrong places, we don't understand the difference between salvation and sanctification. Amen. So, I, since we're talking about kingdoms, would like to use a little story uh, that depends on my favorite, or at least one of my top three favorite movies of all time, which I know will date me. But if you've ever seen the movie The Princess Bride... So anybody here has not seen the movie The Princess Bride? Anybody willing to confess that? Okay, one, two. Okay, we have two, three. You guys are really young, but you have time still. You're going to be okay. You got to get this. You got to have a movie. It's a new requirement. All right, fantastic. Uh, the Princess Bride, this fantastic movie where the dread pirate, the fire swamp, to save their lives. And she says, but nobody's ever survived the the fire swamp and he says well that's, you only say that because nobody's ever done it 
And into the fire swamp they go. And the problem here with the fire swamp is no light gets into the fire swamp. Horrible trees have overgrown everything. And it's, it's boxed in and it's claustrophobic and it's dark. And there are three very problematic issues found only in the fire swamp. The first is the fire spurts. And this is where like a column of nine feet of fire just randomly shoots out of the ground, which is problematic if you're trying to go anywhere and fire is just coming up everywhere. And then the, the next major danger they have to be concerned about is the lightning sand. Now lightning sand is quicksand on steroids, so you touch it and you're sucked into the earth and it's very dangerous. And then of course, the last and most terrifying factor of the fire swamp is the R-O-U-S's, the rodents of unusual size. These are men-sized rodents, and the filmmakers thought it'd be best if it just looked like a man in a costume. But these are giant, scary rodents that will eat your face off, right? I mean, they'll, they'll, it's terrible. Nobody can survive this. Now, the Bible, if I were to use that as a, an illustration, the Bible tells us that we were all born into the fire swamp. That's where we live. What was supposed to be a beautiful garden because of the fall has... Your entire existence would be built around surviving the fire swamp all the time. And you'd know nothing else. Things would be fine. You'd try to figure out what could make you happy. You'd work through that. And then one day, a person shows up before you in beautiful, shiny, remarkable armor, a helmet, a shield, breastplate, and a weapon with a sword. This person has blazed his or her way into the fire swamp to make a proclamation of a kingdom you've never heard of before. And this valiant, victorious warrior says, the king beckons you out of the fire swamp. Some will go, and some will not. Some will continue to seek comfort in the dangers of the fire swamp. But let's just say for a moment that you say, for some miraculous reason, I am going to venture out of the fire swamp. Imagine how scary that might be. As you're journeying out of the fire swamp, you're now going to step into a green, grassy field. You've never seen anything like that before. Wow! A little wind in your face. That sulfury smell of the, the fire and the blazing problems gone. The smell of death nowhere to be to be experienced now. And you look across the green grassy field and there is a beautiful walled city and a remarkable castle. Down the valley of grass, up on the hill. Wow! It's amazing. So you journey towards the city. And as you approach, you suddenly discover there is a problem. This walled city with walls so high you have no idea how you're going to get over them. Impossible. And a moat, deep and wide. And you look into the moat, you lean over, and, and down in the bottom of the moat are piranhas and alligators and great white sharks with lasers. <laughs> Impossible! There's nothing you can do to get in to this beautiful kingdom. Unless someone on the inside lets down the drawbridge so that you can... Amazing castle, the drawbridge is let down for you. So you can cross over in safety into this new kingdom. 
Now, for those of you that are Christian, you're probably making the connections, I would certainly hope. This is what it is to be called out of the children of wrath and into the children of God, into the kingdom as John the Baptist proclaimed. It is near. Prepare yourself for the kingdom of God. You've been called. You've been beckoned. And the drawbridge is how we view the cross. That we go across the drawbridge into safety, paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the one who let down the bridge. He's the one that sent the warrior. He's the one that gave him the armor. He's the one that calls the message, come to the King of Kings. Come out of the fire swamp and into my kingdom. And so, getting back to our story, you cross the bridge. That's salvation. You've now moved from one citizenship to another. And across the bridge you walk in and you go, wow, this place is great! No, we live by a kingdom ethic. The way in which we live together allows us to live in unity. And more importantly, it allows that everything we do in life honors the king who brought us from the fire swamp into this city. He's authored your very existence from this point forward. And so you live now by a new ethic. You live by a new standard and a new practice. Not living by that is not going to get you kicked out of the city, but living by it will give you the greatest joy and blessing in the city. And you say, of course I will. Of course I will live by this kingdom ethic. How could I not? And the king says, hey, you've been invited to my house for dinner. Come to the castle. You go up to the castle. It's amazing. You go to have dinner, and he says, I would like to give you armor. And if you would be so fit, I want to send you back to the fire swamp so that others can come here too. And you say, you bet I'll do it. I'm in. Sign me up if I would be so fit for the kingdom. But here's the thing. You've got to be bad. You've got to be fit, focused, moving forward. I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, man, that is something i got to be doing. Now i got to be a part of that. Great. But, uh, preacher, how do I do that? That sounds nice, but can you give me some next steps here? Okay, fair enough. Um, I remember when I was a, a, a new Christian. I got saved in college. I was already married. I had quite a bit of life and some army and, and a lot behind me to remember the fire swamp and to remember life there. And I remember when I first read the book of Acts, and the wonderful thing about getting saved a little bit older is you have a lot of these memories. You know, I haven't lived my whole life in the kingdom. I, don't, I know what life was like outside the kingdom. I remember the first time I read the book of Acts, and it was like a page-turner. I think I read the whole book in one sitting, my wife and I together. It was remarkable. You know why? Because you read the book of Acts... And we heard it in some scripture. Hey, send out these guys to go into places where they've never heard about the kingdom. And when they get there, they're going to preach, proclaim. Manufacturers have said idols are going to get so mad, they start a riot in the city. Wow! What would it look like in Hebron if people were living by a kingdom ethic in such a way that those who sold things opposed to the kingdom were so mad they rioted in the streets? Whoa! You read stories of like 3,000 people getting saved and added to the kingdom in a day. And I have a question about that. How long does it take to baptize 3,000 people? 
the guy kind of playing the guitar the whole time is like, man, my fingers hurt. <laughs> that's a day. I mean, that's a day. Wow. And you see people risking life and limb to go throughout the known world where the gospel is even hated, where they're persecuted, where they're mauled by animals and lit on fire and every other horrible, torturous thing. For the sake of those who are still in the fire swamp, they go. Because they love the king so much. Because they're fit for his kingdom. Wow! These guys in Acts are amazing. They must have saw some crazy cool stuff. They must have saw God move in amazing ways. And I read that and I went, man, I want to see what they saw. Any of you ever feel that? Any of you like, I want to see what they saw. I want to see what they saw. And now keep doing what you're doing. You want to see what they saw, do what they did. They were fit for the kingdom. This is a people. This is a church fit for the kingdom. What did it look like? What's the example for us to follow as we seek what fitness looks like? If you would now turn with me over to Acts chapter 2 on page uh, 968, I believe, in that, that pew Bible you have there. I want to give you a picture of what it looked like. And by the grace of God, it's also a model. It's not a perfect recipe every time. It's not a guarantee, but it's a model that if we would follow their example, there is a great possibility that we might get an opportunity to see what they saw. So let me just see if I can unpack this a little bit. Let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Let's see what it looks like for a church, for Christians, for those following the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, what fitness might look like for the kingdom of God. Acts 2.42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came over every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Man, I have to believe it. God sovereignly put that picture in there for us. So that when we ask, what did they do so we can see what they saw? He said, it's right here. This was it. This was who they were. This is what it looks like to be suitable, usable, and fit for the kingdom. Now, I think there's seven things we can see in this. I'm just going to roll through the list. I don't think it's difficult. When we see this, we see them doing first this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. One time I was talking with somebody, he said, man, I wish we had those apostles. I'm like, we do! It's right here! We call it the Bible. God had them write all that down. That's why they're called apostles. So you still have the apostles' teaching today. You can go through exactly what they were going through. You can read it, you can hear it, and you can, like they did, devote yourself to it. I don't mean be devoted like making sure you catch every... They devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, I, um, I have a little different context than you do in Salt Lake City. And I don't want to pick on you if this is your context. But I've been to some places where fellowship is just another word for potluck. Right? Or another word for hanging out and having some coffee. 
Now, I don't want to pick on that, but they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Not the potluck, the fellowship. And when you think of fellowship of the believers in the kingdom of God, it's far more superior than the fellowship of the rings or the band of brothers in the army. The fellowship is us. It's each other. It is a committedness to being together with God's people, and they devoted themselves to it. Makes you think twice about skipping church because your back hurts from your golf game. That doesn't sound like devotion to the fellowship. They were devoted to it. And they were devoted to the breaking of bread in their homes together. Now, we can think of this certainly as the Lord's Supper. They were dedicated to remembering what Christ had done and how Jesus has brought us together with His death, burial, and resurrection, of course. But you get a sense when you read this that they're doing this daily in their homes, they're doing this often, that this was a celebration of Jesus Christ together. They were devoted to the celebration. I saw it on your table. We have it. We say it all the time. Do this in remembrance of me. That's a celebration. And they were devoted to it. Devoted to celebrating what the Lord had done all the time. Whether you have a fancy piece of bread to break up and a thing full of juice or not, the celebration was their devotion. They devoted themselves to that. And they devoted themselves forth now to prayers. We heard it in the reading this morning. As they were praying and worshiping and fasting, then the Lord said to them, how did they come to that? How do they notice him? Saul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul who became Paul, off to do such a great work because they were talking with God and hearing from God together. They were praying. That's what prayer, together. In the last three, we see a little bit further down as we move into what they were doing. We see that they were generous. They were giving to others who had need, and if they didn't have the money to give, they were selling stuff to help fulfill those needs. They were generous with one another. And they were thankful with glad hearts, giving thanks to every single thing God gave them together. Wow, God is so good. Let's give Him thanks. And finally, they worshiped. They were praising God. That's what they were doing. Those things. Together, How are you doing with that? Being devoted to the Bible, to the body, to the breaking of bread and celebrating Christ. Praying, being generous, giving thanksgiving, and worshiping together. If we want to see what they saw, and they saw amazing things. If you want to see a riot in the streets in Hebron, hundreds, thousands, or more being saved, if you want to see the miraculous hand of God, even in your life, in the little things, and in the big things, then we have to do what they did. And this is with me. Lord, I thank you so much for their example and their faithfulness. I thank you that you have made a way for us to be saved. And Lord, you have given us a life to live in that is so much more remarkable than we could imagine. If we would just be courageous to be fit to follow you, to not look back, but to look forward for the kingdom. So God, let us be a people who are, in everything we do, living for the kingdom. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. 
Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with Him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow Him. (music) 